you know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, Rob Silva. Today, we will be talking about the past weekend's fights, and I will be reading another excerpt from my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years that you can find currently on fightgamemedia.com. My latest article was recently uh, released last week, was recently printed on Alexis Aguayo, my uh, number 14th fighter of the last 45 years. Well, today I'll be reading about my number 39th fighter of the last 45 years, and that's Mi Vida Loca, Johnny Tapia. But before I read... Excerpts from that article, let's go back and review what occurred this past Saturday. And we had fights all over the world. We had fights in England and America on Saturday. And first, let's talk about Joshua Buatzi's victory over Craig Richards in a very entertaining fight in England. Saturday, it was shown Saturday afternoon around 5 o'clock on the zone. And um, once again... This fight is best watched on mute. Um, the DAZN announcers are the worst announcers in the history of boxing. You hear me say this week in and week out. I'm not going to bore you guys because those who have listened consistently and weekly um, to me for the last I don't know how many years just knows just how much I loathe those clowns at DAZN. I, I loathe DAZN, period. They're a horrible network. I don't know how the hell they're still in existence. They they have to be bleeding money. But let me get off my soapbox. And let's talk about a fight that they aired uh, Saturday afternoon in the United States in what was an entertaining fight. Joshua Buatzi has a lot of potential, but is he ready to battle the other top light heavyweights at this time? And that is Dimitri Baval. And Arthur Better Biev and Better Biev will be fighting Joe Smith very soon to unify their world titles. Uh, Buatzi against Joe Smith would be a very interesting 50-50 fight if Smith somehow, some way, found a way to beat Better Biev. I don't see it. Uh, Boval would be all too wrong because Boval has a beautiful left jab, those combinations, and Richards was able to hit Buatzi many, many times in this fight. Now, Buatzi, I thought, deserved the, the, the decision. It was a very close fight. The DAZN's announcers are horrible. They claim, oh, Richards came close to beating Bavol last year. No, he didn't. Get the fuck out of here. Bavol won 10 of those 12 rounds. Richard Gave uh, Richards, Craig Richards gave Boval some difficulty early on, but it was all Boval. Boval controlled the fight just like he controlled the Canelo fight. But he gave Boatsy hell. Uh, Richards continues, even though he lost the fight. 
to be a worthy opponent for other light heavyweight contenders, and he's still in the mix. Buatsi, uh, yes, he can beat a Joe Smith. I don't see him beating better BF up of all. We will see. I don't know what the picture is for him as far as a light heavyweight title shot goes because after better BF and Smith fights, and I'm telling you, better BF is going to put Smith in the hospital. Um, so I see better BF fighting Baval for the undisputed title, hopefully by the end of the year. Um, in the meantime, Boatsy should continue to fight guys like Richards to make himself to make himself a better matchup for either better BF or Baval. Now we go on to the fights that happen in America. First, let's talk about the uh, another horrible announcement. Joe Testator and Tim Bradley are horrible. Whenever Andre Ward is not announcing with them, you his presence is so greatly lacked because Joe Testator is Kevin Harlan on crack and Tim Bradley is Mr. Hyperbole and all Tim Bradley does is hype up top-ranked fighters and kiss Bob Arum's ass, okay? That's all he fucking does. Right? I can't take him at all. That being said, uh, kudos to Jamel Herring. Uh, he gave it his all, but he lost to the younger, quicker, and uh, better fighter in Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz, with the biggest win of his career, wins a 10-round unanimous decision. Jamel Herring hinted that he was retiring during the post-fight press conference with that clown and that idiot Mark Kriegel who was interviewing him but afterwards he went on social media and he said yes it he was retiring Jamel you have nothing to be ashamed of you served this country as a United States Marine and ladies and gentlemen I have several close friends throughout my life that have been black and Hispanic who have served for the military in the United States whether it was the Marines Navy uh, um, uh, Army, Air Force, and the racism that goes on in those uh, armed forces that they have to deal with makes uh, men like Jamel Herring even greater men. Right? Shout out to two of my brothers out there that uh that that listen to the podcast, and that's Anthony Gethers and my man Mike Troy. My both brothers. Or proud black men that went to Iraq. They they went to Iraq and fought for this country, Afghanistan and Iraq. And they could tell you horror stories, just like Jamel Herring can. Jamel, I give you all the props in the world. You have an incredible, credible post-boxing career as an announcer, as a manager, as a trainer. Whatever you said, whatever you put your mind to, you will succeed. And um, kudos to you and your beautiful wife and your family. Continued success. And for all the naysayers that came out there, I'm not going to mention these clowns, all right? One guy made fun of Jamel Herring after he lost, and this guy got his ass kicked in his last fight while coming to the ring with colored hair. So shut the hell up, all right? Shut the hell up, you clown. All right. On to the main event on the ESPN top rank card, and that was Janabek. Alan Kunali, and it's hard to say his last name, so I'm gonna just call him Janabek, uh, for the for the foreseeable future until I can get his last name correctly. Fought 
a dude I have never heard of. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I've been a boxing fan for now 46 years. Okay? I watch boxing from all over the world. All right? I have a video I have a videotape slash DVD collection of over 25,000 fights. I still own a DVD recorder and a VCR to tape fights. I'm not with this keep uh well you could always catch it on the streaming server. No, I record these fights every week on my DVD recorder. All right. Janabek's opponent for one of the one for a for one of the tomato can uh, boxing organizations Interim vacant title. Get the fuck out. An interim vacant title. And ESPN, Tim Bradley and Joe Testator and Mark Kriegel making a huge deal. Oh, Janabek won his first world title. That's a Mickey Mouse fucking title, all right? Nobody gives a goddamn about an interim world title. No. No, that's just more money for these criminal cartel organizations to steal from their fighters. Now. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That being said, Alam Kanuli, Janabek, Alam Kanuli. Maybe if I keep saying it, I'll get it correctly. Anyway, Janabek fought this stiff from England named Danny Dignam. Danny Dignam has no business fighting in a quote-unquote quasi-world title fight. He's got no business fighting somebody like Edgar Belanga. Another stiff. He's got no business fighting Jamie Mungaya, the most protected fighter in the world, okay, who's also now at 168, um, at 160. For this bogus middleweight title, Janabek fights Danny uh, Dignam, and you, you, would, you, you would think the way Timothy Bradley was talking about Janabek that he was beating up a prime Bernard Hopkins or Carlos Monzon. Oh, it was disgusting. Oh, did you see him break his ankles with a feet? What the fuck are you looking at? What the hell are you looking at? Yeah, Janabek knocked him out with a, with a knockout of the year candidate left uppercut, and they were roaring about this guy. Janabek's got skills, but he's fought nobody. All right. He's fought nobody until he fights somebody. Shut the hell up with all this hyperbole and this phantom middleweight title that he won. This bogus bullshit. I will uh, I will reserve my judgment on where I think Janabek is going until he fights real fighters right now. He's not fighting any real fighters because they found I don't know where they found this guy in some British pub in London. I don't know. All right. 
on to the Showtime card. Um, a very entertaining card. Very entertaining card. The first fight was a very entertaining featherweight uh fight that a uh, really, really uh I was I was uh I was totally, totally uh I was totally uh captivated by this fight. But I just I do wanna say one thing though. I do wanna say one thing about this this fight. Um the young brother that's eighteen years old, um, he cannot continue to fight like that because if he continues to fight like that, he is going to run into some trouble. Um, I tell people this all the time. You cannot fight like this and and ha- have a sustained career into your late twenties to early thirties. He was getting too, he was getting hit with too many shots. Too many shots, and that's gonna that that's gonna be the downfall of him eventually, when it's all said and done. The 18-year-old in question is Jonathan Fierro, who fought Luis Nunez last night in a fight between two up-and-coming young featherweights. Uh, Nunez is 22. Fierro will be 19 soon. And it was very entertaining, very entertaining. Fierro has no defense whatsoever. He was throwing wild shots. And while he landed some early, Nunez's superior boxing ability was able to maintain control and win a comfortable decision. I had him winning seven rounds to three. I believe all three judges had him winning six rounds to four. Fierro cannot continue to fight like this because, like I said, like I just said, he will not last into his late 20s to early 30s with that type of style. He's he's a brawler. He throws wild shots. His defense is non-existent. He needs to work on that. Um, uh, as far as Nunez goes, he's got an excellent, excellent, long-time New York City trainer in Andre Rozier. Rozier is going to make sure that he gets the best out of Nunez. Now, on to the main event of the night, the most anticipated fight of the week. It's the fight that I was looking forward to the most, and that is the fight between David Benavidez and David Lemieux for another, another bogus world championship. I'm sick and tired, ladies and gentlemen, of these bogus world title fights. Why? Why are we subjected to uh, the interim ABC XYZ title? No, just make it a fight between two contenders. And David Lemieux, while more deserving of a Danny Dignam, that was no real test for Benavides. David Lemieux is what he's been his entire career, a one-dimensional brawler. He has no basic boxing skills. Yes, he has hammers in both hands, but his defense has never has never been there. He was totally dominated by Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, Marco Antonio Rubio almost put his lights out, knocked him out, almost put him out, put him out out to pasture permanently. The man, yes, he's a great puncher. That's it. That's it. That's all he. He's a wing and a prayer. And people, are, oh well, what if he what if he catches Benavides? And Benavides is about five, six inches taller than uh, David Lemieux. Benavides hits as, hits harder because he's a natural 168. Lemieux was a middleweight. 
This was a brutal beating. Brutal beating. Um, late in the first round, Lemieux catches. I mean, Lemieux gets caught walking into a picture perfect counter left hook by Lemieux. Lemieux batters him for the last 15 seconds of the round. The bell saves Lemieux. Round two, Lemieux gets dropped by a beautiful left uppercut. And round three, while Lemieux was throwing wild shots and landing mostly gloves, he was getting battered until finally his corner threw the towel in. And hopefully that that not only is that the towel to end his career, I mean the fight, that should be the towel to end his career because he's done. Stick a fork in him. He's done. Uh, what do we have in store for David Benavidez in the future? Was it an impressive victory? Yeah, he beat he beat a guy with pure punching power. He wasn't hit by any big shots. That's the best you could take from it because Lemieux is never has been as talented as Benavides. Benavides is a much more complete complete fighter. Fighter, beautiful left jab, has power in both hands. Benavides is a problem for anybody at 168, and it's time since he has so many other guys on the contract to be PBC just like he is that he could fight. It's time for them to fight these guys. Time for them to step it up. I would love to see David Morrell versus David Benavides. To me, that would be an exciting fight because these are two young, talented, 168-pound fighters. Now, on to the article I wrote about a year ago. My my number 39th fighter of the last 45 years, and that is, of course, the legendary Mi Vida Loca, Johnny Tapia. And this is where I begin. If there was ever a fighter who mirrored my father in terms of dealing with personal inner demons, it was Johnny Tapia. Tapia's struggles with substance abuse was eerily similar to my father's fight with the same illness. Like my father, Tapia was an extremely kind man who would, tr who would transform into an unlikable person when under the influence. Eventually, both Johnny and my father fell victim at a young age due to years of substance abuse. When Johnny was eight years old, he witnessed his mother being dragged out of their home one night. She was stabbed 26 times, raped, and drugged. She fought to survive, but four days later, she succumbed and died. This traumatic experience I've always felt was the catalyst behind the demons that Johnny fought for the rest of his life. It also ignited the fire inside of him to make him the 39th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. After a very successful amateur career, the Albuquerque, New Mexico native turned pro in 1988 as a super flyweight. For the first two and a half years of his pro career, Tapia dazzled boxing fans along the West Coast with his excellent hand speed and supreme counterpunching. He was undefeated in 22 fights when after his fight against Santiago Caballero in October of 1990, he failed the post-fight drug test. Tapia was found with cocaine in his system and was immediately suspended, a suspension that was honored throughout the entire United States. At the age of 23, Tapia's burgeoning career had been stalled. His, his boxing license would be suspended for almost four years. Tapia wasted no time after his 41-month forced exile from boxing by fighting seven times in 1994. The sixth fight 
that year saw Tapia pummel Henry Martinez over 11 rounds to win his first world title. And once again, I'm going to caution the audience that it was the WBO version of the Super Flyweight title. And back then, the WBO version was not considered a legit, a legit world title. Today it is, even though I really don't consider any of these sanctioning bodies today legitimate world championships. To me, it's just a money laundering organization. They are all money laundering organizations, to be honest with you, that rob the fans and the fighters. But anyway, back to the the article. Tapia was brilliant as champion as he successfully defended his title 10 times before signing to fight what at the time was the biggest fight in the history of the 115-pound division. It was a fight between his former childhood friend turned rival, the IBF super flyweight champion, Danny Romero. The tensions between Johnny and Danny began when Danny's father, Danny Romero Sr., was training both fighters as young men. A bitter dispute between Johnny and the elder Romero led to an angry Johnny leaving the Romero camp, which resulted in a years-long feud that was the selling point for the July 18, 1997 title unification fight in Las Vegas. That night, I took my girlfriend at the time and my beloved five-year-old son to my parents' house to not only watch the fight, but to also celebrate my son's fifth birthday as his birthday was the day before. It was that night that both my parents and I realized the striking similarities between my father and Johnny. Tapia was sensational that, that night as he bedazzled Romero with his precision of a left jab and pinpoint counterpunching of the overly aggressive Romero. He followed the blueprint laid out by his legendary trainer, Eddie Futch, to a T. It would be the last significant fight Futch would lead a fighter to victory as he retired soon after. My mother kept remarking how Johnny's facial expressions throughout the fight reminded her of my father, Pop. We all called him Pop. My mother, who has always been frank and upfront, Asked me if Tapia had substance abuse problems. I told her about his suspension due to cocaine abuse. And she said it figured because he looks like he used coke because he has the mannerisms of a coke coke user like your father. My girlfriend sheepishly smiled as both Pop and I agreed that my mother was right. Tapia put on the performance of a lifetime that night, winning the decision and hugging both Danny Sr. and Jr. and declared that their feud was over. From that moment on until the day he died, my mom, my mom would always ask me from time to time if Johnny was okay. Tapia would successfully defend his 115 title two more times before moving up to 118 pounds and defeating Nana Konadu to win the WBA Bantamweight title. His first defense would be against Paulie Ayala on June 26, 1999, also in Vegas. It would be one of the greatest fights in the history of the Bantamweight division. Ayala was a gutsy fighter who always fought way above his skill level. My father and I didn't think his solid skills stood a chance against the brilliant counterpunching and boxing skills of Tapia. Yet, for some inexplicable reason, Tapia fought a phone booth type war with the overachieving Ayala despite pleas from his trainer Freddie Roach to box on the inside. The result was Tapia losing his WBA 118-pound title via unanimous 12-round decision in a fight that was named Ring Magazine Fight of the Year. Fifteen months later, the two would fight again in one of the worst decisions 
in boxing history. My father died on July 30th, 2000 due to throat cancer. He and my mother were only 52 at the time of his passing. I had my mother move in with me immediately after we buried my father as a way for her to keep her sanity. When Tapia and Ayala fought each other in the rematch on October 7th, 2000, my beloved eight-year-old son, son told my mother that the man who acts like Pop was on television fighting. My mother sat with my son and I watching Tapia put on a Incredible display of counterpunching and boxing acumen. It was wonderful to see my mom get a pleasure out of Tapia fighting because it made her love for my father manifest in happiness instead of the sadness that she had been going through caused by his death. When all three judges scored the fight for Ayala, my mother broke down in tears. As my son consoled her, I turned, off, I turned the television off and stared at the blank screen. At the blank screen. What a pathetic joke of a robbery. Tapia rebounded from his disputed loss to Ayala by winning the IBF featherweight title on April 27, 2002 from Manuel Medina. He would vacate the title and accept, and accept the biggest payday of his career against Mexican legend Marco Antonio Barrera. Tapia, now 35, clearly had lost a step and was thoroughly outfought over 12 lopsided rounds. He would part ways with Roach after this fight and soon after would begin a series of cocaine overdoses that almost cost him his life on several occasions. Tapia's nickname was La Vida Loca. Indeed, Tapia's life was getting more bizarre with each passing year. Despite becoming a hardcore drug addict, Tapia won seven of his last nine fights before finally retiring in 2011 with a final record of 59-5-2 with 30 knockouts. Almost a year after his final bout, Tapia died of heart failure at the age of 45 on June 4, 2012. Through thick and thin, Tapia's wife Teresa, just like my father did with my father until his death, stayed with Johnny. Upon learning of Johnny's death, my mother lit candles all over my apartment in honor of Johnny's soul. She told me that Johnny was now at peace and, now, and could now hang out with Pop in the afterlife because they were so much alike. Johnny Tapia was a man haunted by the traumatic experience of seeing his mother dragged and kidnapped at the tender age of eight. Despite years of drug abuse and mental issues surrounding, surrounding his mother's death, Johnny went on to be one of the greatest fighters of his generation. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be back next week as we review. Oh, before 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 I sign off, um, I just want to say a couple of things. First and foremost, if you look in the description, there's a link to the Patreon podcast that fight game media network does and i have a monthly podcast on that on, as well talking about one, uh one of the greatest upsets in boxing history on a monthly basis um sometime this week i will be recording my next patreon podcast and that will be villamar fernandez's incredulous upset over alexis arguello back in the fall of 1978 um and which ties in to the article that was recently released on fightgamemedia.com that I wrote on Alexis Arguello. Um, also, my for you, the wrestling fans out there listening, right? For you boxing fans who are, happen to be wrestling fans, the Patreon page as well as the 
regular free podcast feed has the single best coverage of professional wrestling on the web. The Patreon page has special, special, special shows on AEW, WWE, Impact, New Japan, All Japan, Bloodsport, UFC, MMA, and of course my uh, monthly uh, upsets of all, greatest upsets of all time boxing special. So I would, and only for five dollars a month. So you guys out there, if you want to hear bonus content of myself plus bonus content of wrestling from all over the world. I'd highly recommend you guys uh, subscribe and pay the $5 a month. Now, on to what I'll be talking about next week. We have a pay-per-view at the Barclays Center. It's sold out at the Barclays in what is going to be a horrible mismatch. Raleigh Romero has no business in the ring with Javante uh, Tank Davis. I'm predicting a fourth-round blasting by Javante Davis of Raleigh Romero. So next week, I will be back to... to talk about my 38th greatest fight of the last 45 years and recap and it should be a, a short recap on Javante Tank Davis versus Raleigh M- Romero Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese that pillowy bun Yeah, you get it Every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.